0: Today is Palm Sunday. What in the world is that all about? For some people that, you know, if you go into the world, they don't have any idea. But even some Christians, what does that mean? It is the Sunday before Easter or Resurrection Sunday. Churches across the world right now are talking about Jesus coming into Jerusalem on a donkey. And yes, people ripped off the palm branches, laid them down, laid their robes down. Young and old people shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And and this day really kicks off what we call Holy Week or uh, Passion Week. How many of you have heard it called that? And uh, Palm Palm Sunday was actually a fulfillment of prophecy. And there's actually a couple, but I'm only uh, talking about this one right here, Zechariah 9-9, written, you know, hundreds of years before. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. So my question to you as we talk about Palm Sunday, and yes, it's a fulfillment of prophecy, and I think that's always important to cover, but how does that story affect me today? Anybody ever think of stuff like that? Is there a truth? Is there a lesson that I can learn from Palm Sunday that, that I can apply to my life? And, and obviously, worship is a good one to talk about. We should worship God, am I right? Amen. That's what the people were doing in, uh, in John 12, 13. They took the palm branches, went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna. Can we do that? All right, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed, listen to what they're saying. Blessed is the king of Israel. And if you know the Israel at that time, they did not have a king. They were under submission to the Roman emperor, right? The Caesar was the one they were. So they didn't have a king, and yet they're declaring, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And the word itself, Hosanna, I mean, we sing it, we sang it earlier today, what does it actually mean? Uh, the, ac- the definition means save us, please. It's a cry of help saying, you know, like if you're sinking in quicksand, how many of you remember quicksand in the movies, right? Anybody ever actually encounter quicksand? Right? Whenever, when I was a kid, you know, I, I saw this little meme. I thought quicksand was going to be a bigger deal in life than it has been. <laughs> am I right? <laughs> like, like it was always in all the shows. But anyway, if you're in it, And you're going to be like, help me, please, somebody, give me a, so this is basically they're crying out, and yet not just save us, please, it was an exclamation of praise implying rulership to the one that you're crying out for help. So you're saying, listen, I, and that's what they were doing, they were recognizing Jesus as a king, as a ruler, and they're crying out because they were under oppression by the Roman government. It was a cry, Lord, help us, help us, we recognize your kingship so does anybody ever think wh- why did that event happen that day i mean it's the day before it's the week before passover uh... palm sunday was not a deal back then it was just uh... seven days basically before or six days before passover why did that happen because jesus had been in jerusalem many times and we know that 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 there was a crowd that was gathering for passover they would come early and 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 i don't understand how is it that there's thousands of people jesus is coming in a donkey who prompted them to start ripping palm branches laying them down and making that declaration because like i said jesus had been to jerusalem many times nobody ever pulled down palm branches nobody ever shouted out hosanna uh... making that kind of declaration so there had to be some kind of event that was leading up that prompted all of the people to make that declaration. And that's what I want to look at because sometimes you can see Scripture, and if you're reading especially the Gospels, you could read a story and then write the next chapter over, you can read another story. That may have been, there may have been, you know, a month between those stories that were told. We don't always have an exact timeline because if you look in Matthew and Mark before... Uh, Palm Sunday happened, Jesus had healed blind people that had come into town, and in Luke, you see Jesus telling the uh, parable of the 10 minus coins, uh, interaction with Zacchaeus that was going on, and so those were not exactly chronological, how many of you know what I'm talking about, we read that, but if you look in the Gospel of John, he goes into great detail what we would call the Passion Week. And so he gives a really good timeline of the events that led up to this and what happened after that. So we get this more accurate picture. So in John chapter 11, so John chapter 12 is where we hear about Palm Sunday. So if you back up one chapter, we see the miracle where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Now, how many of you know that's more than a healing? Right? When you raise somebody from the dead, that's like a big deal and the raising of Lazarus was like such a big deal everybody knew he was dead he was in the tomb for four days and he rose him from the dead and that healing miracle I want to tell you today I believe was the straw that broke the camel's back what do I mean by that this was like the final nail in the coffin for what the Pharisees wanted to do because look at what happened right after Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead everybody came out in John eleven forty five. 45 Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. What did they see happen? They saw a dead man rise from the dead. Right? How many of you know if you saw somebody that you know has been dead, you're at their funeral and all of a sudden they rise up out of their uh, casket. How many of you are like, hey listen, whoever just called that person out, I'm, I'm believing them. That's like a big deal right there. So many, I love how many of the people believe. However, some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Exactly. That's what we call them, tattletales, right? What are you doing? You're going to rat him out, right? And so after some of them came, hey, listen, there's all these people following after Jesus now. He rose this person from the dead. What are you going to do about it? So the Pharisees are talking. They've already been talking how they're going to get rid of Jesus. Because Jesus has been an issue. He's been a thorn in their side for a while. Uh, But they came to a conclusion. If you jump down to verse 53, from that time on, the moment they heard and they made a decision, the Jewish leaders began to plot Jesus' death. They were like, this is it. You know, more and more people keep following after Him. We're going to figure out how to kill Him. We're hatching a plan. We're going to make it happen. And then as a result... Jesus stopped his public ministry amongst the people and he left Jerusalem. I don't know if you realize that, that was it. No more feeding the 5,000, no more, uh, uh, you know, doing all these here, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, none of that. Jesus is like, my public ministry is over at this point because Jesus knew that he was going to die, but he knew it had to be at the right time. And so he withdrew, the scripture says, he went to a place near the the wilderness to the village of Ephraim, stayed there with his disciples. And so Pharisees plot, Jesus stopped his public ministry and he basically went, I don't know if I want to say hid out, but he went to the wilderness where no more people saw him. And we don't know exactly what the time frame was from this until Passover uh, but there was an amount of time that obviously passed. Nobody, where's Jesus at? Like where's the one that raised the person from, that's this guy from the dead? And now it's nearing Passover. People are beginning to flood into Jerusalem. Because when Passover happened, people from all the surrounding areas. Jerusalem would be filled with thousands upon thousands of people. All kinds of people coming for that. And so everybody is hearing about this Jesus. Everybody's hearing about uh, Lazarus rising from the dead. And so they were very interested. And it says in verse 56, they kept looking for Jesus. We're coming into Jerusalem. Where's he at? They're hearing about the Pharisees wanting to kill him. And it says they stood around the temple and they said to each other, What do you think? He won't come for Passover, will he? Like if you knew there was somebody, the police wanted to capture you and execute you in in hangtown. Right? They're going to wrap a noose around you. How many of you would be like, hey, listen, let's go to Placerville. (laughs) No, if they wanted to kill me there, I'm not showing up. I'm going the other direction. How many of you with me on that? So they're saying, he's not going to show up for Passover, Willie. And then meanwhile, the leading priests, the Pharisees had publicly, not secretly, this everybody knew what was going on said, anybody seeing Jesus, you must report him immediately so they could arrest him. They had a plan that was going on. And like I said, nobody had seen Jesus since he rose Lazarus from the dead. Now they're in Jerusalem. The Pharisees are looking for him. All the other people are looking for him. They have their plan going on. So these are all actual events that are happening. And then we see John chapter 12, six days before Passover, Jesus arrives in Bethany now understand Bethany is only two miles outside of Jerusalem so that's pretty close like I can walk that you know I don't know some of you guys could run it in 14 minutes and you know might take me a half hour 45 minutes but I can make two miles right I can make it so it's not that far away but he comes back to the home of Lazarus where Lazarus lived whom Jesus had raised from the dead So I want you to picture what has happened. He rose Lazarus from the dead. Everybody rejoiced. Some of the people went, the tattletales went and told the Pharisees. Jesus left Lazarus' house to the wilderness. Nobody's seen Jesus and since uh, Lazarus. And now he's back in Lazarus' house. He's there again. And he's there the day before he enters into Jerusalem, the day before Palm Sunday, he's there. Now there's some important things that happen while he's there at their home that we need to look at. Verse 2 and 3 basically say there was a dinner given in Jesus honor. I mean, who wouldn't want to honor the one that raised your brother from the dead? Right? Hey, listen, thanks Jesus we're giving this in your honor. Uh Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table, very typical today too, right? Now I'm just don't throw anything. I'm just kidding, right? Okay. <clears throat> Mary took about a pint of pure nard and expensive perfume poured it on Jesus' feet, wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. Now, if you were with us a few weeks ago, I talked about at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, there was a sinful woman in the Pharisee's house that anointed him. This is not the same time. This is the end of Jesus' ministry. Mary anoints him. Yes, Judas, the one that betrays Jesus, got upset. He's like, this could have been sold, money given to the poor. He didn't care about the poor. He cared about the money, right? And, and then Jesus obviously uh, rebukes him, leave her alone. It, w- it was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. So Jesus knows what's going on. This is preparation for Passion Week, which was going to start the very next day right after this feast there. And, and what I want to focus on today Is not just uh, Jesus coming in on a donkey, but I want to talk about the people surrounding that day at Lazarus' house and uh, when he comes in on the donkey. What are they doing there? So look at verse 9. It says, uh, he's still at Lazarus' house. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there. Now, this is very typical. Everywhere Jesus went, he had never had a problem getting a crowd. Am I right? Crowds came, Jesus is there, I'm checking it out, but I love what this says, not only because of him, they didn't come just because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had risen from the dead, right, he was there for, people were there like, hey listen, I want to see Jesus, but I want to see this guy who rose from the dead, wouldn't you want to see that? Like I want to I see, this guy's got a testimony here. So I want to talk today a little bit about Jesus and Lazarus and how that relates to you and I and our mission and our purpose in the world. You may have never thought how Lazarus has an impact in your life. I hope that you will today. So I want to talk about both of them. Now let me ask this question. How many of you realize you've got a mission on this earth? Amen. You've got a purpose. You've got a God-given purpose john seventeen eighteen said jesus was talking to the father and he says just as you sent me into the world i'm sending them into the world who's the them right he was talking to his disciples at that time but guess what if you have accepted jesus as your savior that makes you a disciple that makes me a disciple so jesus is saying just as god the father just as you sent me i'm sending all of you that's all of us i love how the message says it. It says, in the same way that you gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. You and I have been given a mission in the world that God wants us to do. And it tells me that, if you, like I said, if you've accepted Jesus, you have a purpose. right? Sometimes we struggle. Do I have a purpose? I don't know why I'm here. What am I doing? I want to tell you today, you've got a God-given purpose. And if you're going to fulfill that, number one in your notes, you have to accept it. You have to accept the fact, okay, I've got a God-given mission. I have something that God actually assigned for me to do. Just as God sent Jesus, Jesus is sending us. Amen? Everybody say, i got a God-given mission. I got a God-given mission. All right, if you're sitting next to someone who didn't say it, tell them, you got a God-given mission. That was a little bit quieter here. Listen, we, this should be good news. Amen. This should be good news. How many of you know Jesus didn't just save you so that you can make it to heaven and play a harp on a on a cloud, right? Like, is that all? I gotta go to. I've had people ask me that. I promise you, if I go to heaven, as I do, I just sit on a cloud and play a harp. I just want to say you've been watching too many cartoons. Amen. Am I right? Nothing in the Bible says that. You're not going to heaven to play a cloud sitting on a harp. I don't know. Maybe maybe you can. T- Take that class sometime up there. I don't know. You've got an actual mission. Here's the thing: so Jesus didn't save you just so that you can make it there. He created you and he saved you with purpose. Amen. You and I have purpose, and and, and uh, whatever it is, no matter where you are. That's why I love you know, young, old, been saved a long time, been saved a minute, it doesn't matter. God's got purpose in your life. Amen. Ephesians 2:10 kind of reiterates it. It says for we are God's workmanship. Like we're his he created us. And he created us in Christ to do what? Good works. Good works which God prepared in advance. So God already knows what he wants for you to do. He already created that. He's already made your personality the way it is. He's already given you the special gifts that you have. We just have to begin to enact that. We have to find out, okay, God, whatever that is, I want to do it. Listen, I don't think most people would even argue with the fact that God uh, has a purpose for us. Most people, if you've been serving God for very long, we understand what the Great Commission is. We are to do what? Let me hear it. Go. Right, go into all the world, preach the gospel, teaching them. Yes, yeah, making disciples. So we understand that. But let me ask this question. Do you think everybody who calls themselves a follower of Christ or a believer is doing that? No. Right. So some are, some aren't. Different reasons why some aren't. Uh, the reality is that we've probably fallen into one of four categories. We're either already doing the things that God's called us to do. This doesn't mean that, oh man, I'm doing it perfect. Because <laughs> none of us are doing it perfect but you're already doing the things that God's called you to do. Another one, there's a lot of people that say, you know what, I didn't even know I had a mission. I thought my mission was just to accept Jesus and make it to heaven. Man, I'm glad that God saved us for more than that, aren't you? Yeah. So a lot of people just don't even know it. Some people fall into this category, and hopefully nobody here, yeah, I know I got a mission, I just don't want to do it. All right, I don't want to do it. Yeah, I don't want to do it. I just want to live for myself, get my ticket to heaven, and keep good, moving on. Here's the one that I think probably more people fall into. I just don't know how or what to do. I know God's got something for me. I know there's expectation. I know there's a mission and a purpose. I just don't know how and I don't know what. So that's what we kind of want to talk about. Can I give you the short answer? I already gave you this verse a second ago. Jesus said, just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. How did, how did Jesus get? What was Jesus' mission? What was his purpose? He says it right here in uh, Luke 19.10. The Son of Man came to do what? Seek Seek and to save those that are lost. That was Jesus' mission. How many of you know, just as the Father sent Jesus to do this, how many of you know Jesus is sending us the same way? right. Look at this one out of the message. For the Son of Man, I love this, came to find and restore the lost. That's what we're called to do you know he said you can say it so many different ways how did he tell Peter to do this I will make you a, a fisher of men how many of you know that's basically the same way we can say it all kinds of. Supposed to be in the process of finding and restoring or seeking those that need to know Jesus amen? amen who wants that to be a part of your purpose in life I do I definitely do how many of you remember that line from Mission Impossible and I'm talking about the old like TV series, Mission Impossible, when he would get a mission. Who remembers what? Should you choose to accept it? Yeah, so I got it here. So uh, it, I'm not talking about Tom Cruise. I'm talking about way back. So uh, good morning, Mr. Phelps. Your mission, should you decide to accept it, is to, and then they put the mission of the week. Uh, let me just say the Great Commission leaves off the rest of this. But as always, should you or any member of your IM force be caught or killed, the secretary disavow your knowledge, blah, 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 fait, say, thing will destruct. Uh, God only gives that first part. Your mission, should you decide to accept it, is to find and restore lost people. Amen. Amen. God will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. But that really is it. We have to accept that mission from God. Okay, God, that's what you've called me to do. I don't know how, but Lord, I need your help. I need you to begin to show me how. Can I show you that freedom? Our vision statement as a church is is simply this and it's so difficult. I hope you guys memorize it to bring people that are far from God close to God as we love Jesus and we love others faithfully. Does that make sense? I mean that's so that's just another way of saying that we need to seek and save the lost. You can word it so many different ways of what it means and and, and really we can't save anybody, can we? I'm the pastor of this church. Can you save somebody? (laughs) No, I didn't go to the cross for you. And even if I just went to the cross, then at the end result was I'd be dead with Jesus myself because of him. We took communion because Jesus, the sinless, perfect sacrifice, paid the price for my sin. I can't even pay for my own sin, much less anybody else's. So I can't save anybody. I can't make anybody accept Jesus. Anybody ever have someone in your life you wish you could make them accept? All right, let me just nail that into you. Make them, You can't do that. You can't, do, you can't force them. You can't manipulate them. Maybe if you manipulate for a moment, but how many of you know manipulation never works? You, the best that we can do is to bring people far from God, close to him. And so I actually asked Jr. to come up and uh, share just a, a minute, but I wanted to use him as an illustration, first of all. And uh, let me get the microphone. Because he's going to need it now. How long have you been saved, Jr.? Eight years. Eight years. Okay. Most of you would realize that he's older than eight, right? (laughs) The the gray hair gives it away. So, uh, uh, but there was a time. Being bringing somebody close to God is simply, and and it says what by loving Jesus and loving others is somebody coming along and loving Jr where he is, how he is, how his actions, whether godly or ungodly, and saying, hey, listen, to the best of my ability, I want to bring you close to Jesus. That's it. And, uh, and I just wanted to have him share how, uh, how you came close to Jesus. What are the events that happened in your life? I get
1: a little choked up when I talk about this because it means so much to me. Um... I want to go back a little bit. I'll try and make this short, but I want to go back a little bit, way back. I'm an only child with six siblings. My father had three children with another wife, my mom as well. I've never called any of my siblings half-sister or half-brother. For some reason in my heart, I never believed in that. We're all sisters and brothers. And... My, one of my sisters that lived close to me back in January 2014, um, for some reason she'd been, not been doing very well. She was sick, uh, had some problems with alcohol. So one day I tried, had been trying to call her and I couldn't get a hold of her. Something told me I need to go to her house and check on her. So I went to her house. She lived in an apartment. And the door was locked, but I could hear her inside. I went and got the manager. She let me in. Uh, called 911, took her to the hospital. She died the next day. I was left with taking care of what all her last wishes and her belongings and things like that. First time anything like that had ever happened to me in my life. I was crushed. Um, all my siblings mean the world to me. And uh, fast forward six months, my dad got sick overnight went to the hospital. They kept him alive for about five or six days. And he passed. Again, I was put in charge of taking care of his last wishes um, and everything that went along with that. Six months, I lost two people that meant the world to me. I was crushed. I went to work every day, hoping that work would take that off my mind. And I had a dear friend there he was just a work friend at the time he has become my best friend in the world uh, he used to belong to this church some of you older people know him Terry and Lisa Mace um, he was telling me I need to come to church and I kept looking at him we worked together like like a Swiss watch together we were that good together and he kept telling me I need to come to church and I kept telling him no church ain't going to fix how I feel and he wasn't he didn't needle me he didn't push me but we talked a lot so um, we have a deal at work where we bid our jobs for one year apiece and he was going to go do something else he was going to leave his yard spot that was working with me and go do something else and I kept begging him not to do it, don't do it because we worked together so well. And one day we were talking and he said, I'll make you a deal. You come to church with me three times. Three times, that's all he asked. He said, you pick the days three times consecutively. I will sign the contract and work in this yard with you for another year. He gave up a year of his life that could have been completely different, could have been easier, could have been better. He could be working better hours, home more with Lisa and his children. But he gave up a year of his life, and all he asked for me was three days. I walked through those doors. Bill met me, shook my hand, hugged me, and called me brother. I sat right over there. When I left this church, I was in love with the Lord. Pastor, I don't know how many times, different pastors that we've had. That day, that day I said over there, those pastors, that pastor, Pastor Rob, was talking straight to me. The Lord was talking straight to me through that pastor. And every single word he said was me, was what I was going through and how to help fix it give my life to Jesus and go out into the mission field and find other people and get them to give their life to Jesus because it saved my life amen it really did
0: amen thank you so much brother see probably most of you don't know <coughs> JR's history but it was somebody brought him close to Jesus he didn't save him, right? He didn't pound the gospel in him. It was like, hey, come with me. And that's why we talk about these little invites. They, you, may, you have no idea how many JRs are in your life, right? They might not look as good as him, you know, but <laughs> they might look better than you, right? I got dressed up today. He got dressed up today. But you know what? There are people in our lives that just need somebody that will say, hey, listen, can I bring you close? Can you come with me? Can you be a part? That's really what God has called us to do. So, listen. yes, I am pushing this. I'm a, I'm a share the gospel pusher here. There's invites that are out there. Take them with you. Keep one on you. You never know who you're going to run into because that is our job is to bring people by, yes, loving Jesus and loving others, both of them. How many of you know it goes hand in hand? The reality is you're not going to love others if you don't love Jesus. I mean, at best, you might tolerate others. Am I Right. Right, God is the one that gives us the ability to love others that are not there. So that that is number one in your notes. The other two that I want to talk about, I kind of hit on already, is the two individuals that were at the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus that brought people near to God. So let me go back to uh, that verse out of John 12:9. Meanwhile, the large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there. And again, when Jesus is somewhere, how many of you know other people are drawn to him? When the presence of the Lord is there, so, so let me just give you, uh, oh, let me skip that one. Number two, the presence of Jesus must be where I am. That means where I am, not the, obviously Jesus physically is not going to be here, but guess where he does reside? Through his Holy Spirit, he resides in us. And people need to see Jesus, not your bad attitude, right? <laughs> I heard some ouches there. Like I am not shining Jesus. If somebody cuts me off in traffic and I honk my horn and cuss them out, how many of you know I'm not showing anybody Jesus that way? If you go to the restaurant and they don't fill your cup back up with uh, soda or water or whatever fast enough, and you get an attitude at them, right? Nobody here's ever done that. It's all those other Christians that do that. Am I right? So, so if if they are not seeing Jesus. Jesus has got to be shining through my life all the time. Yes, you're not going to be perfect, but I've got to check my attitude. Lord, is, is your presence there. And listen, I'm not talking about faking it till you make it. right? We can all kind of act nice. OK, and I'm a Christian, I'm supposed to be nice, I'm supposed to do this. all right. Uh, how many of you know, you'll only fake it till you like you'll, it breaks your last nerve. right? When you really spend time? with the Lord when you have you know we took communion but when you have communion and you worship then guess what Jesus is shining through you you don't have to work at it because your relationship with with Christ is so active and so real that people automatically see that so the presence of Jesus must be where you are and you're like well isn't the isn't Jesus with me all the time is he with you all the time even when you have a bad attitude Yeah, he is. He doesn't say, I am with you always except for when you have a bad attitude. (laughs) No, he's always there, but how many of you know he's not always uh, seen? Sometimes our actions, sometimes our attitudes, some of that. So, yes, God is. There's a, a word that we use, omnipresent, which means God is everywhere at the same time. But how many of you know some of those times you don't really see him, right? You don't see what's going on. And, yes, I know it's true. There's times you don't see God moving in your life, but behind the scenes, He is doing stuff. How many of you know what I'm talking about? God is working things out. Uh, but uh, I, I think about this. This past week, our daughter who teaches uh Bible, she teaches at a Christian school, she teaches the Bible to middle school kids. So listen, pray for her, okay? <laughs> How many of you know what I'm talking about? So, But one of the kids asked her a question, and I thought it was a pretty good question, that... Uh, it said this. It says, uh, and I put it up here: Is God always moving, or because He is omnipresent, everywhere at the same time, is He still? All right, that's actually not a bad. That's not a bad question for a I don't know sixth, seventh, or eighth grader to ask. If He's moving, but if He's already everywhere, uh, is He just still? He doesn't have to be like, oh, I'm going to go over here or I'm going to go over there. Uh, first thing, and my wife sent this response back to her. Jeremiah 23 24 can anyone hide from me in a secret place am I not everywhere and all the heavens and the earth says the Lord God is already everywhere am I right but when we say that God is moving we're talking about him actively doing something in a certain situation or in a life like I've got a picture here of the uh, the Red Sea this is the sea that that uh, God used Moses part of the waters they went through on dry ground Uh, If you were to go to this shore right now, would God's presence be there? Yeah. Yeah. But think about it. And I actually got a photo from when Moses did separate the waters. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Uh, But how many of you, if you came upon the Red Sea and you saw the waters part like that and all of that whole... How many of you are like, man, God is here? right. It would not need any convincing because God is actively uh... doing something that is very visible and very tangible to our eye we see god moving but i believe the same thing is true in our life god is always here but there's times that you will see him actively doing things in your life like when you are in communion with god how many of you know jesus is shining off right it's like man i can't believe you're nice and that said so did you hear what that person said to you i mean i'm just gonna tell on myself because you know i haven't always been saved I, I I was a teenager, and I had quite a mouth on me. Uh, but back when uh, Joshua was in high school, I remember him one time telling me, and, you know, he's loved the Lord for a long time, longer than... And, uh, and some kids said some stuff to him, and I was like, well, did you tell them this, that, and the other thing? I'm a pastor at this point. I just want you to know. <laughs> and then he looked at me. He's like, no, I could never say that. And then I'm like, oh, man, I just... <laughs> I was not giving godly advice at that moment, at that time, right? I, I had my smart aleck tongue wanting to come out. So uh, God was not evident. So it's like, okay, God, are you shining through my life? Because when I have spent time with God, has anyone ever noticed that the more time you spend with God, the more you begin to act like Christ in our world? And the less time you do. And so Jesus is not always evident in our life when we allow other things. And so it's true in our in our personal life it's true in a church gathering am i right in a church gathering sometimes in a church god is always at every church but sometimes we can quench the spirit right the holy spirit wants to do something and we put a hold on him and look what it says in first thessalonians do not put out the spirit's fire do not treat prophecies with contempt. test everything and hold on to the good so that is uh some versions do use the word quench like when you quench something if you're thirsty and you drink a glass of water what is that doing that's quenching your thirst right when there's a wildfire going on and the firefighters pour water on it that's a good thing because it quenches the fire but can i say the holy spirit when he's beginning to move we don't want to quench the holy spirit do we we don't want to put that out the holy spirit is symbolized by fire if you remember john the baptist in matthew He says that one is coming after, he will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire, right? When the Holy Spirit was poured out on the early church, it says that there were tongues of fire. So as a church, sometimes as a church, some people try to control everything, right? And I understand that because nobody wants things that are out of control, am I right? But if we try too hard to control everything, then basically there's times the Holy Spirit may want to do something, and we're like, no, I've got my agenda, I've got my clock, you don't have time for that, we can't do that right now. How many of you know that's a quenching of the Holy Spirit? And the Holy Spirit is not able to do it. How else do we do it? Well, He basically tells us right here, don't treat prophecies with contempt. All right, what are we talking about here? Listen, if somebody has a word from God and then we're like, oh yeah, somebody's word from God, smurred from God. I don't believe that. They're just making that thing up right there. How many of you know that's treating uh, prophecies with contempt? All right? Sometimes we're guilty of looking more at the message giver rather than the message itself. I don't really like that gal. I don't like that person. You know what? They do this. They do that. I don't know if that's a real word from God. And, and listen, back when I was in Bible college, there was this guy, and he was a real turkey, I'm just going to tell you. He, he got under everybody's nerve, but I'll never forget, he gave a word in, in our chapel time, and I, I don't the only, only word that I remember is persevere. And, it was to, and how many of you know perseverance is a good thing, right? So he gave this word, this prophetic word, and nobody really liked him. Uh, you don't have to feel bad for him because he brought it on himself, I'm just saying that, but... Anyway, he got back to his dorm room and somebody had written a note to him said, persevere in your ear. Right? What that means is they didn't listen to the message, they looked at the message giver. Right? Every person that would give a message, how many of you know all of us are flawed? Right? We have personality things and so I don't want to look at a prophetic word with contempt. I want to hear, okay, Holy Spirit, are you saying something through this? Are you saying something to me? Because I want to have ear to hear. God, can I just tell you this? God can communicate through whoever he wants, whenever he wants to. Amen? He's not like, oh man, did they check all the likability boxes? You know, are they the best communicator? Are they this? Are they that? No, God can communicate through any of us, right? <coughs> so, we're, So I don't want to f- treat it with contempt, but there's also a word of caution. He says to test everything and to hold on to the good. That means sometimes you may hear a word and it's like, you know what, that's not really for me. It's not your job to decide if it's for anybody else, but it's like, you know what, I don't really feel like that's really for me. Or, you know, if it's off in left field, and I've heard some weird uh, prophecies at times that they're that like, man, that, that is that person for sure right there. But uh, we're, not, we're called to test it. I'm, not, I'm just being honest with you. Listen, if you've been in spirit-filled churches before, there's a tendency for some weird things to happen. Yeah. So, you gotta be wise. Look what it says right here, first lesson only. This is a word for you in here. First of all, don't suppress the spirit. Don't stifle those who have a word from the master. But, I love this, on the other hand, don't be gullible. Yeah. <laughs> Amen? Can I just say that again? Don't check out everything and keep only what's good and throw out anything tainted with evil. In the South, you know what we called that? Eat the meat and spit out the. See, you guys know what that is. It's like, you know what, God, if that's a word, maybe it's not for you, but it may be for somebody else. Don't, you know, just take the things that God is speaking to your heart. Uh, some people treat all prophecies. There's some churches that, that won't allow any of that to happen, right? All of that stuff doesn't happen anymore. And it's like, wait a minute, you know what? You're quenching the Spirit when you, when you don't allow uh, the Holy Spirit to move in that way. But then on the other hand, there's some that will agree with everything without ever testing it. Oh, they said it was from God. I guess it must be God. No, test it, right? Don't be gullible. Does it line up with God's Word? Does it line up with what He's doing and what He's speaking? Because a lot of times these words that come out are confirmations in your own spirit of something God's already dealing with you about. Does that make sense? And here's the thing. None of us get it right all the time. Am I right? None of us are perfect. But I believe that when we strive to be obedient and to follow after the Holy Spirit, then the presence of the Lord is here. Yes. Amen? God is here. Not just omnipresent here, but actively moving here. I remember when we were at our church in the, back in Texas, we had a Spanish family that was coming, but they would bring their mother too who didn't understand a lick of English. And she would come every week, and it was like, her name was Rosa. And it was like, Rosa, why does your mom keep coming? She doesn't understand anything that's going on. But they said, she loves to come because she can feel something. She feels the presence of God here. And it's like, she didn't have to understand. And, and, you know, and then the same thing happened when we were in Chico. We had a, you know, we would host international students. Well, one time we had a, a Chinese teacher, 30-something years old. He understood English as long as you spoke it clear and separated your words. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Like, like, if you had all your words running together, he didn't have any idea what you were saying. So when we communicated with him, his English was good as long as we, I guess, spoke broken English, Right. Hey, how are you? So, so he, would, he came to church with us for two weeks while he lived with us. And, uh, and I, I would ask him, hey, you know, I want feedback. This is a Chinese teacher here that's teaching kids. Anyway, how, how, what did you think of service? I said, did you understand? He goes, I didn't understand anything you said. He goes, but I felt something. He's like, I felt something was there. And uh, he didn't even know how to identify it as God. But let me tell you, the presence of the Lord was there. When we allow him to move, see, we can either quench the spirit or we can make room for the Holy Spirit. Right. Amen. What kind of church do you want to be in? One that controls it all, or one that says, Okay, Holy Spirit, if you want to do this, then I want you to do that. Let me show you one more verse out of First Corinthians. It says, But if all of you are prophesying and unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your meeting. They will be convicted of sin, judged by what you say, and as they listen, their secret thoughts will be exposed. They will fall to their knees and worship and declare, God is truly here among you. Isn't that good? When you allow the Holy Spirit to move, people will sense the presence of God. You can't manufacture that. You can't, oh man, let's just play the right worship song. Let's do the right thing, and then that will make people get the little goosebumps. No, you can't fake it. You can have some good worship without the presence of the Holy Spirit, right? But if you're going to have something different when God's anointed that. You can just have so-so worship like that as long as the Holy Spirit's there. Amen? Does that make sense? See, Mary and Martha, they welcomed Jesus into their home. They prepared a meal, and then Mary goes and anoints Him with oil. Do you realize that's worship right there? When we truly worship Him as a church... This is what we want to do. We want to welcome the Holy Spirit. We want to go after God. We want to to make room for Him every chance we get. Amen? There is no perfect church, but I believe this is our priority as Freedom Church. This is one of our values as a church. Passion is our pursuit. Everything we do, we want to do it with passion. From our worship to our service, we do with the Holy Spirit energy. Passion drives us, passion for Jesus, passion for people, and passion for his church. Amen. When Jesus is in the house, people will come. So fulfill our mission, realize I have a God given mission. The presence of Jesus needs to be here. And uh, in, in our presence, let me just say there was somebody else that was in that house. Remember what in verse 9? Jesus was there, not only because of him. But people came also to see Lazarus. I mean, Lazarus had an amazing, they didn't come from Mary. They didn't come from Martha. They came from Lazarus because Lazarus had a pretty amazing testimony. Am I right? Like, if you were dead and came back to life, wouldn't that be a powerful testimony? You now, like, someone like, oh, this was my testimony, this one. And you're like, you ain't got nothing. I used to be dead, I was dead for four days. As a matter of fact, and God raised me up. I mean, it's like if you were played beat that testimony, how many of you know you would win? <laughs> like your testimony, please—that's a joke. Let me tell you about my. So Lazarus had a testimony, and that's really number three: is to live out your testimony. Amen. And, and listen, if you had a testimony like like Lazarus says, well, you know, if I was dead and Jesus rolled me to raise me to life again, I would have a testimony. Can I say that again? If I was dead and Jesus rose me to life, I would have a testimony. How many of you have that testimony? How many of you realize that really is your testimony? You're like, what are you talking about, Pastor Scott? Well, uh, Ephesians 2 says, If God is so rich in mercy, He loved us so much that even though what? We We were dead because of our sin. He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. And it's only by grace you have been saved. And then he goes on to say in verse 6, and I'm going to have you guys repeat this verse with me. Let's say this at the same time. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Listen, you have been raised to new life. Amen? Yes, we can give the Lord a hand clap. You have a resurrection story. If you've accepted Jesus as your Savior you got the same testimony as Lazarus. Yeah, it looks different, right? Every one of our stories look different. But I want to say never underestimate your resurrection story. Never think, oh, man, it's not as good as that one. Man, they, really they were like really dead dead, right? No, we were all dead. Your resurrection story, your testimony has the power to draw people to Jesus. Amen. If you will just begin to show that by living your testimony. How do I do that? Well, first of all, I got to shine Jesus got to shine through me. Amen. People got to see Jesus in me. If they don't, they're going to be turned off from you. Some people have gotten so political even in their faith that that turns people away from them. Am I right? Sometimes we allow these situations then and, and people are repelled by that. They want to see Jesus. Amen they want to see him so how do I live my testimony let people see Jesus and, and I want to just say op, give those opportunities to share your testimony get opera it doesn't have to be like oh you know what and, and give this long drawn out thing if you see somebody struggling and just thinking about J.R. you know he was struggling and if somebody would just come along hey listen let, I, I know what can help you out I used to be in this situation this used to be my situation in life and, and God really intervened it really is that simple. Tell others. People are drawn to Jesus, and not only that, they were drawn to Lazarus. They wanted to hear his story. People actually do want to hear your story. Not everybody wants to hear it. Listen, if somebody doesn't want to hear it, don't keep telling them. But I want to tell you somebody wants to hear it. You and I were dead in our sins, and God raised us to life, just as he did to Lazarus. I love, I just want to share this one passage. Uh, when he raised him, Jesus shouted, what? Lazarus, come out. Can I tell you, I was 16 years old when I heard heard Jesus say, Scott, time to come out. It's time to come out. But I will say this. Look what it goes on to say. And the dead man came out. Don't you love that? The dead man came out. His hands and feet were still bound in grave clothes. His face was wrapped in a head cloth. And Jesus said to unwrap them. A lot of times we hear Jesus call us to come out, and, and I can tell you from my life personally, I kind of walked around in my grave clothes for a couple of years. Yeah. Now, you know what I'm talking about, right? I was still bound by my sin, by my, my attitudes, all of that stuff, until finally, that's why Jesus like, hey, listen, let him out. I mean, if you think about his head was wrapped, when they would wrap their heads, it was with all of the oils and you can't breathe through that. And they weren't worried about dead people trying to breathe through it. They were trying to preserve, right? And so if we keep that stuff on us and we don't release that, then eventually we're going to die again. If they didn't take that off of Lazarus, he's like, man, I can only hold my breath so long get this thing off. Right? He had to get it off, and then he began to live. You and I, we've got to get that grave stuff off. It's time to be free of that. It's time to come out. So here's what I know. Accept our mission. Accept our mission. You have an opportunity this week to find, and I'm just going to use your name, Jr. if you're okay with that. Find a Jr. in your life. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a, a relative, a family member, somebody. Find a, find a Jr. and say, hey, listen, come with me. Come with me for three weeks. That's, that was great. That was, that three, days. <laughs> three days. Three days, yeah. Just come with me and, uh, and, and bring them in. realize and make sure that you are shining Jesus, amen? if you're not, it's not a matter of right action, well I better make sure I act right no, it's a matter of right location you've got to be living at the presence of Jesus allow him to begin to shine through you and and as God gives opportunity just share your story share your story because people are struggling all around and you never know it you don't know what they're going through and they need to know that there's hope. They need to know that there's more than just what this life has to offer. And the meaningless words sometimes that has to offer. You know, sometimes you go to a funeral, people that don't have any idea who the Lord is, and they'll, they'll offer these words, well, at least they're in a better place. But you know what? They still don't, they don't know that. Because their hope is temporary. It's earthly. The hope that God gives us is eternal. Right, and, and it settles that, that when we lose somebody that we love, it's like, you know what, and we know that they know the Lord, then it is different. It's different. I don't know how to explain it, but it is different. So I want to tell you, I believe God is calling us to come out. And, and I asked uh, the worship team to sing this song as a declaration because I don't know where everyone is. Right, If you're here today and you don't know the Lord, I want to tell you, God is calling your name. And he's saying it's time to come out. Maybe you're at the place where I was for a couple of years, between 16 and 18, still wearing, you know, I I accepted Jesus, but I'm still wearing my grave clothes. I want to tell you, it's time to release that. It's time to leave the, the confounds of sin and all of that stuff and say, God, I am all yours today. I'm all yours today. Can I have everybody stand? And let's sing this song as a declaration to him. And make it as a faith. Listen, if, you're, if you know you've been struggling with areas of sin, I'm not going to have you come up. I'm not going to point you out. If you want prayer, then, then we can have some people up here praying for you. But otherwise, you can allow God to release you even as we sing this song. Amen? Amen? Amen. So uh, I'm going to let you guys...